0: I'll ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew, chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. Matthew, chapter 6, beginning at verse 16, page 811, if you're using the Pew Bibles. According to former pastor and theologian John Piper, fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, like God and his work in our lives. Let me repeat that. Fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is in itself good, like food in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater like God and his work in our lives. And although fasting is not a direct command from scripture for Christians, it is expected that followers of Christ would fast. And that's what I I want to explore this morning Uh, this gray area of, should I fast? And if so, why? what What is the heart behind it? Why am I fasting? And we have to be honest and ask ourselves, is it a way of manipulating, trying to manipulate God into getting what I want? Or is it a a matter of abstaining uh, from those things that I think I need in order to live a better life? I know of those personally who have had good intentions when 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 it came to fasting, but I also know those who have turned fasting into an avenue to get or achieve their selfish motives. There is, a, uh, there is a fasting that takes place during times of intense suffering and, and, and sorrow when, when life gets so hard, a time of mourning, but then there's this unbiblical fasting, one where you're seeking superficial material blessings in order to live a life of ease, a life of comfort, and hopefully as we explore our texts today, we'll gather a better understanding of the purposes of fasting. So let me read our text, pray, and then we'll dig into it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. And once again, it's page 811, if you're using the Pew Bible. And this is the holy word of God. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fathers, we come before you uh, this morning uh, on this day. I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word, that we may walk in a manner that pleases you. Oh, we would we would live in a way that honors you with integrity and righteousness may that be our highest aim it is in your blessed son's name that we pray amen part 1 the fast that men choose the fast that men choose jesus said and when you fast as i mentioned earlier th- uh, there's no imperative command instructing new testament christians too fast yet we see this expectation from christ along with other examples of new testament christians actually fasting for example in acts chapter 13 uh, verses 1 and 2 it says now there were at antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers barnabas and simeon who was called niger and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. When these church leaders were gathered together in the midst of ministering, praying, and fasting, perhaps seeking direction for the church, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, spoke up to give them direction, proving once again, by the way, that he is not an impersonal force, but he is God, equal in essence to the Father and the Son. He said, Set apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. That's authority. But my point this morning is that these church leaders who were ministering, praying, and fasting shows that it was not something that is. Um, 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 Wrong to do, to fast, that it was a normal thing they did. But not only at the beginning of the missionary journey did they do this, but as each church was planted, before they left, they would pray and fast once more for, the, for these uh, 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 fledgling churches. And we see that in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 23. We see fasting, yet no direct command to fast. And I want you to turn with me for a moment to Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, because I believe from this text, this text, we'll see why these disciples and apostles fasted and even the early church would pick it up in the first century and beyond, would fast. Even though there is no direct command, no imperative, you must fast. In Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 20, Mark wrote, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. When Jesus uses the phrase taken away, he's referring to a sudden removal or being snatched away violently, which is an obvious reference to his arrest and crucifixion. That's the time they will fast. And in in his illustration, while the bridegroom is at the wedding with his friends, it's not a time for sadness or mourning. And of course, the, the bridegroom is a picture of Christ. And while Christ is with the disciples, that's not a time for sadness, sorrow, and fasting. That's a time for rejoicing. Fasting was associated with sorrow, but Jesus brought good news and joy. It was a time of healing, being fed miraculously, and even having your sins forgiven. For the disciples in particular, who are the wedding guests, it was a time to rejoice uh, uh, loudly because they were there. And then within the the disciples, you have the, 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 the inner group. Surely it's not a time for mourning everything they learned and received from the Savior. They had come to believe that he was the Savior of the world, the Son of God. We're not going to fast now. We're going to worship. We're going to praise. We're going to spread the good news. We're going to go knocking door to door. We're going to say believe in the Son of God. He is here. The Messiah is here. Worship him. However, once the Messiah was taken away from them, then they would fast. Which is why fasting is expected to take place among believers. Because we long for our Savior. We long for the Christ. This world is hard. This world, has, there's so much sorrow and, 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 and angst, uh, panic attacks, depression. So many things come at us and we, we, we mourn. And blessed are those who, are, who, who mourn. Right, One day we will see him and we will rejoice, but for now, in the hardness of this life, we may find it's necessary to abstain from those things that we feel will, will get us over the hump and look to Christ in our barrenness, in our isolation from these things that we trusted in, that we trust in and say, no, Lord, it's you. It's you I'm trusting in. I love you, not this stuff. Matthew six sixteen goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Now, the warning Jesus gives to them and us, against openly displaying our fasting is the same as it was for openly revealing your financial contributions to the poor and your showy prayer life. He's saying, don't be a hypocrite. When you fast, don't look gloomy, meaning don't have your face looking all sorrowful, your hair looking all crazy, your clothes disheveled, just so someone can ask you, what's wrong? Why? Because now you have set the stage for your sad, sad song. Oh, I'm so hungry. I've been fasting. And I'm just, it's been like three days and I had nothing to eat. Oh, man. But I'm doing it for the Lord. It's all for the Lord. Can you pray that I'll make it? Maybe. But I'm going to pray that you repent. Because the Lord was clear. He said, Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And of course, the Jewish leaders would have taken this personally because they were number one in doing things to be seen by others. And now their anger towards Jesus is increased. It was high before, but as Jesus gets into this chapter 6, Chapter 5 was bad enough, but as Jesus continues, he's digging at them. He's getting into the hypocrites, and he's saying, You do not have what you think you have. You have to humble yourself. And these, these, these Pharisees were so hypocritical that they developed this systematic way of fasting, right? Uh, even though all that was required under the old covenant law was to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement, they scheduled their fasting. Twice a week, twice a week. Yes, Old Testament saints, saints is the key word, would fast when going through a time of sorrow, a time of despair. They would have these honest fasts, but when they fasted, they meant it. When they would wear the sackcloth or the the burlap and they would put ashes on their head and they would get on their knees and they would cry out before God. And those ashes represented mourning, humility before God, repentance, and brokenness. For instance, think about King David. There was this time when he was discouraged because of unfaithful so-called friends. In Psalm chapter 35, he tells us about them. He said, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. David trusted them. But they lied on him. They, 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 they bore false witness against him. They were malicious, meaning they intended to do him harm. But when they were sick, when they needed someone to intercede before God on their behalf, he prayed, fasted and grieved for them as one who laments and, and grieves over his own mother. So we see that to fast. And to seek the will of God, seek the face of God when someone is hurting and in need, is biblical. And then there's Daniel. After spending nearly 70 years in exile and longing for a home, Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3 said, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And if we were to read the rest of that Daniel chapter 9, uh, we would see that throughout it, Daniel is continuously confessing the sins, his sins and the sins of the people with a brokenness that produced a repentant heart. So what, so here we see that to fast and seek the face of God when you've reached that place of confession, repentance and brokenness is biblical. And also, some of you might remember from the book of Esther, when the Jews were in Susa, in the land of the Persians and the Medes, after Haman's decree to destroy all the Jews, Esther chapter 4 and verse 3 says, In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Mordecai, Esther's uncle, some say maybe he, he, he was her older cousin, but what he did is he, persuade, he persuaded her to plead with the king to spare the Jews, even though it could cost her her life. So she told Mordecai, go. Go. Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So we see that to to fast and seek the face of God when there's a threat that great tragedy may come upon God's people is also biblical. There were times and are times when we go before God in fasting for the benefit of others and even ourselves, if we're to that point where we just we just have to have to have to shed ourselves of everything and say, Lord God, I came into this world naked and naked I shall return to you. You are my all. And so many times we get caught up in the things of this world, thinking that we cannot do without them. But when it came to the fasting of the Pharisees, for most of them, their fasting was unbiblical. Why do I say that? Because, as I stated previously, they developed a systematic approach to fasting as opposed to fasting when there was real mourning and real times of crisis. But they maintained that if you really wanted to display true holiness, you must fast twice a week. That's similar to saying you must cry twice a week, whether there's something to cry about or not. What happens is your tears become shallow displays of emotion before whoever sees you crying twice every single week. That's what their fasting was to God, shallow. And we see this in the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. In verses 11 and 12, the Pharisee said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, Or like that Pharisee over there. Or like that, sorry, that that tax collector over there. I'm not like him. I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I get. His fasting was a shallow display of emotion. And that's why Jesus said of that same Pharisee that that, that he went down to his house unjustified. But that tax collector who cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I want you to remember that here. This morning, if you don't know Christ, it's not like, well, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to uh, uh, approach him. Take a lesson from the tax collector who was deemed wicked in the eyes of most and just cry out. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, a sinner. And that man went to his house justified by God, recognizing his sinful estate. Some commentaries say the Jews began fasting. On the second and fifth day of the week because their tradition taught that Moses went up on Mount Sinai on the second day of the week. Monday stayed 40 days and then came back down on the fifth day of the week, Thursday. So that's why they would fast on the second and fifth days of the week. But Jewish Christians in the early church who came out of that system in order to separate themselves from the Pharisees and others who made fasting this outward spectacle, began fasting on days that nobody would be expecting them to in order to keep their fast private before God. According to the Didache, which is a collection of first century uh, uh, writings by the leaders of the church, and they would tell how they operated in the first century, right? In chapter eight of the Didache, uh, they wrote, and not let your fastings be with the hypocrites, for they fast on the second and fifth day of the week. Then there's J.B. Lightfoot's commentary on the Didache. He said the fast days of Mondays and Thursdays were dominated by individuals looking to make a show of their righteousness. Fasting on Alternative days further safeguarded against making fasting an ostentatious show of piety. And that just means uh, they had this excessive attempt to display their fake holiness. The early church fought hard to distinguish themselves from anything resembling the legalism of the Jews. They desired to fast, not to imitate the Jews, but to follow the expectation that Jesus had for his, his disciples. Since he did say, once the bridegroom was taken away, then his disciples would fast. If you you if you choose to fast, I pray your fast is not mechanical. I pray it's kept quiet. And I pray your fast is one that honors. God, which takes us to part two, the fast that's chosen by God, the fast that's chosen by God. When Jesus called the Jewish leaders hypocrites for the third time, back to back to back in this discourse, this should have taken their minds to the behavior of their ancestors, even to the days of Isaiah So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58, beginning at verse 4. Isaiah chapter 58, beginning at verse 4. Page 618 in your pew Bibles, if you're using the pew Bible. 618 in the pew Bible. In Isaiah 58... Verses four to seven. God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, confronted his people's hypocrisy to their face. He told them, behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Now, I want you to get the picture in your mind. Here you have God's people. Fighting bickering, disrespecting one another on a regular basis, and then they want to come before God acting if they're holy and sanctified with fasting and praying. God will not be mocked. Verse 4 goes on to say, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Fasting and praying often uh, went together. So God is saying because of your hypocrisy, when you pray, I am not hearing you. Your prayers are blowing in the wind. Verse 5. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isaiah is telling them, you can put on this false humility and fake repentance you can go through the motions, bowing your, your your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You can even kneel or prostrate yourself covered with sackcloth and ashes. But if you're locked in unrepentant sin, your fasting is pitiful, useless, and unacceptable. The Lord is like, do you really think this pleases me? Mm-mm. In verse 6, God tells them specifically the type of fast that pleases him. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? God is informing his people, and we we should pay attention to this right here. He's informing his people If you truly desire to please me, you have to change your ways. You have to change your ways. In In context, he's saying if you're a judge, free those you wrongly imprisoned. If you're an employer, lighten the unjust burden of those who work for you. If you're a wicked master who's oppressing people in any way, let the oppressed go free and remove those chains that are binding your people. Verse 7, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, meaning their own family, their own kin? In context, once again, if you were a member of the children of Israel and saw another member of the children of Israel hungry, homeless, or naked, how could you not share what you had in order to help them? God took them from nothing. They were slaves in Egypt to wicked Pharaoh. Yet the Lord kept his promise when he delivered them and established them in their own land. In similar fashion, if you are a member of the body of Christ and see another member of the body of Christ hungry, homeless or naked, How could you not share what you have in order to help them? God took you and me from nothing. We were slaves to wicked Satan. Yet he delivered us and established us by making us citizens in his kingdom. To now give back what we've been given freely, that's the fast that God chooses. Fasting from food is good. But if your heart doesn't reflect the heart of God, your fasting is a waste of time. This means if your character is one of unrepentant anger, sexual immorality, idolatry, pride, unfaithfulness, lying, greed, conceit, and anything that violates the law of God, your fasting is trash before God. You may impress those around you. But your fasting is also pitiful, useless, and unacceptable, just as the fasting of most of the Pharisees. And then the Lord will be asking you the same question he asked. Then, do you really think this is the fast that I choose? God receives fasting from people who carry themselves in a Christ-like manner. The fast that God chooses is a fast from someone who strongly desires to live a life that exudes patience, holiness, compassion, faithfulness, purity, generosity, forgiveness, mercy, and an all-around kindness that looks out for the interest of others. Many people know doctrine, church history, Greek Hebrew, uh, both of the Bible, frontwards and backwards, but they don't know God or the love of God. They may know it theoretically, but at the present moment, as their heart is hardened, they don't know the love of God experientially and aren't willing to humble themselves enough to live the sacrificial life that love demands. The humility component of love. The humility component of love that Paul speaks of in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 to 5, describes the nature of the person who qualifies for the fast that God chooses. There, uh, in Philippians 2, Paul said, complete my joy by being of the same mind. That's to be unified in essential doctrine. Having the same love. That's to be unified in affection equally across the board without bias or partiality. Being in full accord of one mind, that's to be totally unified in Christ. How do we achieve that? Verses 4 to 5a. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. For selfish, fleshly creatures, that's hard. But for those who are walking in the spirit, it's not as hard. We're able to say, Lord God, everything I have belongs to you. And only by your spirit can I look at someone and, and, and have their interest in mind. yes. By nature, I'm always worried about Mike. But by the Spirit, I'm able to look at other people and be concerned about them. Not perfectly because the flesh says, no, it's about me. And the Spirit says, no, it's about them. I'm taking care of you. Especially if that person does not know me or my son. You show them Christ. You tell them about Christ, that's good. But through patience... And, and, and looking at them and seeing where you were and seeing where you are now, by my power, you reach out to them and you bring them up by your actions and let me do the rest. Trust me. It's all about me. It's all about Christ. Christ. And it's all about the spirit working in you, that you are able to do these things from Philippians chapter two that you don't think you can do. And you're right. Apart from the flesh, you can't do that. You can't lay your life down for others sacrificially. You can, you can look the part, but in the end, if you examine it, most of the time it's so that you would benefit. But here, this is totally being Christ-like, Giving yourself up. Verse 5 shows us our example. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Those who have never allowed the love of Christ to control them may never conclude that it's time to die to self. That's from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. To conclude that you have to die to self and all have died so that he who died for them would be exalted. You die to self because Christ died for you. So if you, if you are going to choose the fast that God chooses, especially in the midst of fasting from food, make sure your character lines up with God's character. Man is impressed with the externals, but God looks upon the heart. And that's why in verse uh, 17 of our text, Matthew 6, Jesus said, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Anoint your head and wash your face. Over the past few months, whenever I would prepare a sermon, I would use my Gmail account to take notes And talk it out through the voice recognition feature. I'm going somewhere with this so please be patient with me. Every six or seven hundred words. I would email it to myself so that I can get to it on any device. About nine days ago. Over a roughly 16 hour period. I spent about five hours building this sermon here on fasting. It was like. Two hours late one afternoon, two hours a little bit after midnight, and another hour the next morning. But instead of emailing it to myself, I just left it as a draft. Some of you know where this is going. As I continued to have even more thoughts on the sermon that morning, I hit something. And roughly 90% of what I had worked on was gone. Now I never had a mental breakdown. But I was close. I I, I started talking to myself. I said, no. That, no, it's here. It's, it's 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 no that didn't just happen. I I tried, I, I went through certain things, and I even I even reached out to some of you, but you all let me down. <laughs> and 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 the, the consensus was that it was gone forever. So I left everything. I I just left it and I went to visit my mother-in-law in in the hospital. I I just I just went. I just wanted to see her. She's always been an encouragement to me. I I went to see her and and I I just I just had to leave it and and, and go and and, and talk to her. By the way, she said thank you to all of you who are praying for her. Uh, Thank you. And I told her my horror story and I asked her, have you ever fasted? She said, yes, many times. Now, I've known my mother-in-law a long time, and I told her, not once have you ever mentioned that you fasted. She said she was taught by her pastor many, many decades ago, when you fast, wash your face and go on. Wash your face and go on. Taking Jesus's A warning about the hypocrites who would disfigure their faces looking all gloomy that their fasting may be seen by others. Her pastor told her, you do the opposite. Make sure your face is looking its best as if you're not lacking anything in the world. Jesus said to do it. Don't don't look like you're in need. Why? Because it glorifies God that he's able to bring you through even though you're, you're holding back from those things that you think you need. Man, what she said was so encouraging to me because here she is confined to a hospital bed smiling as she's talking to me. And here I am moaning and groaning about some words that I lost able to go and come freely But that's the character of someone who's been walking with the Lord for a long time. 89 years old. Bless her heart. That's someone who knows God intimately. People like her don't need approval from man. Mm -mm. There's no need for them to play the hypocrite. In verse 18 of Matthew 6, Jesus tells us why. Why we don't, we, don't, we don't put this act on for people to pat us on the back and say, you know what, you're a super Christian and I want to be like you. No. Verse 18. So that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in, see- who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Acts of charity, prayer, and fasting. These three activities that Jesus has grouped together in Matthew 6 are meant to be acts of intimacy between us and our Father. Yes, others may benefit from these God-centered acts of devotion, but the closeness it takes to relate with God in such a way takes a special bond between us and God, a special bond. We, as his children, are called to be good stewards of everything he has bestowed on us. So, so when we fast from anything that he has given us as an act of separation from those things, and when we pray as an act of humility before our Lord and Master, and then give alms as an act of benevolence for the less fortunate, we are producing fruit that reveals God is our Father, and his Son and Spirit are working through us. Isn't that what you want? With so many failures in our lives, we sin, we need evidence that we are his children. And when we are obedient, and when we we do those acts that Christ would do and did, it's evidence that I've been changed and I belong to him. He has adopted me. He has came and he has said you. I want you. Come in my house. This is how you operate in my house. And I'm going to give you my spirit. And he's going to transform the heart and the mind. And now (laughs) it's not about you. You are looking out for the interests of others. And you're saying why did I do that? They're so unfaithful. Why would I continue to help them? God says, I did something in you, and you're seeing it. Rejoice. Fruit is good. If you have no fruit, that's bad. There should be some relationship. There should be some correlation between you and your father. He loves, but you hate. He forgives, but you can never forgive. Something's wrong with that. Salvation isn't just this this, this, this uh, uh, mental ascent. I believe, no, something happens at the point of salvation. God says, my spirit is within you. And we're doing those things that please the Lord. Praise God. When we talk about we we want to follow God and we come to church and we're a Christian, we have to think: What is our aim? What is our ultimate goal? Second Corinthians five nine says: Whether at home or absent, our aim is to please Him. Our aim, our goal—some translations say—is to live in such a way that God's yes that's my son that's my daughter they belong to me represent me if you want your relationship with God to deteriorate Durate fast start living to please others start doing those things that are meant to be done in private to them in public in order to receive praise from men Jesus said truly You have received your reward. That's it. That's what you wanted. You got it. Comparing it to our earthly uh, relationships, uh, if you want to lose credibility with anyone you say you love, start broadcasting to the world those things that are meant to be, that were meant to be, between you and them alone. Your relationship will deteriorate fast, all trust will be lost. And as some of you already know, once the trust is gone, the relationship suffers tremendously. And some of us have already shared sensitive information with those we trusted, only to have someone else repeat what we told that person in private. Now imagine finding out the person you told sensitive information to in confidence, not only told one person, but told almost everyone they came in contact with. All for the sake of gaining some type of status increase. How would you respond? Would you help to increase their status or would you leave them alone? You would leave them alone so that the only reward they would receive is from those they wanted to impress. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you're fasting for others to see you fasting in order to increase your status before men, that's the only reward you will receive. However... If you keep the private things private and you go before the Lord in your sorrow, God hears. And Jesus said he rewards. And I believe King David implied this in Psalm chapter 34 when he said the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If you keep private things private, God is able to supply what you need. As you wash your face and go on, God shows up mightily through his ability to sustain you. Even though you've had nothing to eat for days, his power is in you when you are able to commute back and forth to work, complete your work, fellowship in church, and spend precious time with your family, even though you're in the middle of a fast. Reflect on this for a minute. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God was glorified by keeping their clothing and sandals intact day after day, month after month, year after year for 40 years. God sustained them and he's able to sustain you. I have two applications for you. Application number one, don't blab about your face, your fast to the world. B-L-A-B, don't blab about your fast to the world. If you choose to fast from food food, TV, phone, or anything for any period of time, don't tell anyone. Let your sacrifice for God be just that, a sacrifice for God, not for your status as a Christian to be elevated. And as I said last time, because it bears repeating, it's not for you to put it on social media. Hey, everybody, I'm on the Daniel fast, or my wife and I are doing a consecration fast, or last year we tried the Esther fast, and the year before that we did the 40-day soul fast. Jesus said, make sure your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Therefore, don't blab about your fast. Application number Two, fasting or not, make sure you're walking in holiness. Make sure you're walking in holiness. If you choose the fast that God chooses, that means you're walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Please turn with me this final place to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. We're going to end there. God has done something to all who truly believe in him, who are born again. God has uh, uh, granted us eternal life. Because if we don't have eternal life, then everything I said in this sermon does not apply to you. If you don't have eternal life life. This act of, of, of fasting, which is a, an, an intimate act between God's children and him, uh, a, a, a time of devotion and dedication with your father. If you do not believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross for your sins, you have not entered into the family. And of course, you can understand that. Uh, many of us have some good kids on our street. And we're kind to them. We can give them cookies and we can talk with them. But they are not your children. They themselves don't have the confidence that they can reach out to you at any time of the day and you would hear what they want and try your best to fulfill their request. But your children know they can come when they hear a bump in the night. They can jump in your bed. That's what we have with God. At any time we can come to him. But you must be born again. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Great acknowledgments, great acknowledge- acknowledgments from this guy who was a, a, a the teacher in Israel. He was a Pharisee If you could choose a neighbor, you might choose him over some people who call themselves Christian. He was a good guy. And he recognized Jesus was not just an ordinary guy. And if we were judging him and we said, if anybody's going to heaven, it's this guy. Jesus doesn't see it that way. He had all the rules and regulations down. Verse three, Jesus answered him, truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly. That means listen close. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot Enter the kingdom of God. Now, uh, Jesus ex- explains this in John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39, where uh, translations, uh, a, a more accurate tra- translation would be, born of water, even the spirit. As Jesus explains that the living water is equal to the spirit. Your spirit has to be changed, renewed. You have to be regenerated. That's the equivalent of being born again. And unless you are born again, you cannot enter The kingdom of God. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If you are not born again. You're walking in the flesh. And your flesh all day every day. But to be saved is to be born of the spirit. And the term born again means to be born from above. God does a work in you. He separates you from the world and he brings you into his kingdom and you are his child and he has given us his spirit that we would understand the word, that we would have this relationship that cannot be broken. Finally, verse 7, I'm going to end there. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And my prayer is that everybody here would make their calling and election sure. Know that you believe in Christ. Know that he is your savior. I pray you wouldn't leave here today in doubt of that. If you, if you, if you, if you know for sure you're not, I really need to speak to you after this. I just need I just need you to understand that at any moment your soul can be snatched because James said the body without the spirit is dead. And without your spirit, you will hit the ground and the next thing you know is it's judgment day for you. And so I pray that we could have a conversation if you know you're not saved, we can even sit and have some Haitian doubles in a little while as we're going to celebrate the diversity of this place. And what you see here, if you're a visitor, is you see what God is able to do by his spirit to unite people from so many different backgrounds. 23 nations coming together with the common denominator of Christ. So let me pray, and then we'll begin the second half of our day. Father, we thank you for this time. May we honor you with our lives, Lord God. May we live for you. May we cut off those things that have become idols so that it's not just a fast, but it's a separating ourselves that we would have no other God before you, no other gods before you, and that we would not covet those things that you have not already blessed us with so that we would learn what it means godliness with contentment is great gain that's the type of gain that we want lord and you are able to do that and that's what we pray for now please root out the idols of our heart in jesus name we pray amen